Welcome to Business with Beers. I am your host, Brian Beers. This is a podcast for business owners who want to scale their business to massively grow their income and contribution by investing in people, process, and technology. This week, I've got a great show with Ruth King. Ruth is a serial entrepreneur, having owned eight businesses over the last 37 years. She's also the best-selling author of four business books about profitability and running a business. In this episode, we dive into the numbers behind running a profitable business. Ruth has some great formulas that you can use to determine if your cash flow is increasing or decreasing. She also shares some best practices on a profit sharing compensation plan that she's helped deploy in multiple companies and had successful results. Before we dive into today's show, I want to tell you about an extraordinary offer from a company that I am currently using called My Outdesk. My Outdesk offers professional virtual assistant services, and they also happen to be rated the number one virtual assistant company by Tech Radar with over 700 five-star reviews. I've got friends and associates who are among the thousands of their satisfied customers. I always get a lot of listeners asking me questions on how do I grow my business while lowering my costs. I use My Outdesk and save 70% versus a traditional in-person hire. And so for Business with Beers listeners, MyOutDesk is offering a free double your business strategy session. Simply go over to MyOutDesk.com slash beers, as in my last name, to schedule a call. And on this call, you can work one-on-one with one of their business consultants to design an action plan to hire and launch a virtual assistant into your business today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics covered in this podcast, check out BrianBeers.com to sign up for my free newsletter delivering content directly to your inbox. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, well, this wouldn't be business with beers if I didn't ask you that me and you are at a nice bar down in Atlanta. Uh, What would we be drinking? What would we be drinking? I would be drinking a Chardonnay and white wine. Uh, (laughs) That sounds fine. Hey, it doesn't have to be beer. That's that's all good. Um, Fantastic. So if you don't mind uh, sharing your story, kind of who you are, what you do, I know you have an extensive resume, you're an author, you're a speaker, you're a coach, so uh, a lot to cover, but you know, give us a a high level, go from there. I started out in chemical engineering. So I'm a chemical engineer by training and you're going to say, well, what in the world does that have to do with business? And what does that have to do with profitability and financial statements? So um, I had always wanted to know, I'd always wanted my own business from the time I was a little kid. I sold stuff when I was a kid. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And went to school and did engineering, but there was not a single business class in engineering school. I Mm -hmm. I worked in chemical engineering for two years and hated it. Absolutely hated it. So I went back to school, got my MBA and found numbers and financial statements. And I loved them and found that I'm really good at explaining them in English rather than accounting babble. So that's where it all started. Um, I've written five books, um, two of which have become bestsellers. And it's, you know... All the books are really easy to read. They're all written in English. Um, my goal in life is to give business owners the tools and processes to get and stay profitable, build wealth, and hopefully give back. Because I've, my belief is once you've made it, it's your responsibility yep. to give back. Sure. Yep. Give back in, in not only you know, your time and money, but like, like you have its information and you know sharing uh, to bridge that gap, that, that gap of knowledge between people. So Yeah, um, absolutely. Great. So I got a ton of questions for you. So my first one is, what is the difference between profit and cash flow? Okay. A lot of people think they're the same, right? That if you're making money, you've got all this cash in the bank, but it, it's not always the case, right? 
No, I, I, one of my clients started his business and with a partner and grew it to $2 million in 12 years. And they do it, did it basically always on cash. They had cash in their pockets if they could take their discounts from their suppliers. Um, if they could make payroll and had money left over, everything was good. And, and the growth, I mean, it grew to $2 million in 12, in 12 years. And then growth absolutely stopped. It literally stopped. And within a couple months, they were having problems sometimes paying payroll and they weren't taking their discounts anymore. And they're going like, what's going on here? Yep. And they were smart enough to make a phone call. And when I went and did the analysis, it turns out they were losing a nickel for every dollar that they brought in the door for 12 years. Okay. So they never looked at a PL. They never looked at a balance sheet. They only looked at cash. And so growth masks a lot of problems because mm -hmm. money that came in from one job, one project started the next one. And since they were getting more and more and more and more projects, the cash flow was ever, ever, ever increasing. Once the project stopped, their cash flow decreased by 5% a month until it went, hey, what's going on here? You know, type thing. So cash is a balance sheet item. Mm -hmm. Profit's a P&L item. And profit just means sales minus expenses. And cash is cash. Obviously, you turn your profits into cash to be able to have your cash in your pocket, so to speak. Um, you know, you might think, well, you know, what might be going through some of the, your listeners' mind, your audience's mind is like, well, how did they lose a nickel for every dollar they took in the door? It's mm -hmm. really, really easy. They never paid attention to material cost. They never paid attention to what the labor to produce those projects were. Um, and so if they bid a job at, let's say, 16 hours and it came in at 20, they never knew it, which was a lot of the situation. Mm. And they just didn't pay attention. They didn't care. They had cash. Yep. Yeah. And especially, like you said, you're always paying, like, you know, our vendors, we pay on a, I don't know, it could be 30, 60, potentially 90 days. So by the time those bills come due, it's it's current sales, right? That money's coming in from that day that's paying from 60 days ago. Uh, and we're in a we're in like a cash business. People pay us right away. I've I have friends who have some heavy AR accounts receivable. Yeah, uh -huh. and um, he's billing like three hundred thousand dollars a month. But then his his payroll's like a hundred thousand a month, right? But he he all, all of it uh, he's not getting paid for several months. So he's coming kind of out of pocket to make these payroll costs because he's right. not going to get paid for for two months later. Yeah. But, so yeah. his his like P and L looks great, but then he's like he has he has like literally no money and needs a line of credit to make payroll. But because of the growth, right? If if his business was steady, it would it would be fine. Yeah, but because be fine. he's at this exponential growth phase, um, right. yeah. Know, here's the rule. Challenge. Yeah, here's a, here's a ratio that I use all the time: cash receivable plus cash. All right, and I mean trade receivables, not receivables from employees or receivables from you or something like that, but customers who owe you money plus cash divided by accounts payable. And if you don't have your credit cards in payables plus credit cards, so receivables plus cash divided by payables plus credit cards. And that number has to be greater than two at all times. Okay. That's a simple, so, um, simple formula. Yeah. Um, and if it's not, or it's, you know, let's say it's three and it went down to 2.9 and then 2.8, you should be screaming what's going on. Mm, Likewise, okay. if we're at 1.8 and we go to 1.9, we're, we're heading in the right direction. We don't want that number trending down. We want that number trending. And you want it trending, positive. trending up, okay? Because yeah. then, as you, if it's trending up, right, as you take distributions and you pay yourself, right, right. your cash is going down. But like, if you're still on this rise, because then your, and your margins getting better, sales are getting better, right? You're yeah. you're in the, in the clear. So okay, that's that's yeah. great. That's a great tip. Uh, my my next question. So, you know, as, as a business owner. 
you know, they, we all want to increase our profitability, right? That the better our margins kind of, kind of get that the easier in a sense the business becomes because you got to work maybe a little bit less to get each dollar or each dollar works more for you. What are some of the biggest opportunities that, that you've seen of where uh, a business owner can find the extra dollars in the P&L? Like wh- where are they losing it and where's the opportunity side? It's actually, for most businesses, it's actually in the labor, all right? And, okay. And yep. I want you to think about this. Labor is like a hotel room. And you're going like, what the, it's not, you, you just, your, your eyebrows kind of went, what are you talking, what are you talking about? All right, think about it this way. We have eight hours a day, or, you know, sometimes we have overtime and they might work 10 hours a day, but that's it. If we don't productively use that eight hours a day, then it's gone. It's like a seat on an airplane that took off. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't sell it once it takes off. Same thing with labor, or because you, if you, the hotel room isn't sold that night, you lose it. You lose the ability to build that labor or have productive labor if you don't use it that day. Now, you know, for some of the things that you do, you know, with the mighty shops, the stuff, the brakes, the the tires, the whatever else it is, sure, you you know, if you don't sell it today, you can sell it tomorrow. Yep. But the labor, you can't. Mm-hmm. So yep. if you look at your labor and you say, okay. They are charging me for 40 hours this week. How many hours of those 40 were productive? How many can I build? Were they actually working on customers' projects for 40 hours? If they were working on customers' work for 20 hours and they're charging you for 40 hours, you have a problem. So the first place that I would look to increase productivity and profitability is is labor, okay? Okay. That's number one, all right? Second place that I would look is I would look at where you are with respect to overhead. And overhead is usually pretty much fixed. But if it's creeping up month by month by month, why? Because that's affecting your bottom line. And you want your overhead to be fairly fixed every month. Um, and, it, and it generally is. But occasionally I see things creeping in there that, okay, um, we took a vacation and we charged it to the company. You know, something yeah. along the lines like that. Yeah, I think subscription services are a big one that we see. Sometimes, you know, we sign up for things as a trial or, you know, we started and we just stopped using it. And, you know, someone else does the credit cards and they just, they think we're using it. Uh, but then, you know, it adds up if it's X amount of dollars per month and, you know, a per location basis. So that's, that's a big one I know for us. Well, that, that and what's going on now with credit card companies is, you know, the old standard was 3%. There's some credit card companies out there that are about 1.9 now. Mm. So if you have, you know, huge credit card bills every month, i.e. Yeah, customers put all their payments on credit cards and it's, you know, tens or hundreds of thousand dollars a month, going from 1.9 to 3 is significant or from 3 to 1.9 is significant there too. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, so labor cost, overhead, what's another area you, you see some opportunities that people need to look at? Uh, for those of companies who have inventory, inventory is a bet, all right? What's in your shops? What's on your trucks? How much of it is being used? How much of it is obsolete? Um, and if you have never counted inventory, we have a problem right then and there. And I also look at inventory uh, warehouse supermarkets, which means that the guys come in and take whatever they want or the girls come in and take whatever they want. It's not locked up. It's not controlled. Mm. And I've known so many people who shall remain nameless who funded their own companies simply by taking inventory from their, you know, where they used to work. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, So how does someone, you know, 
get get started on a, a simple maybe tracking system or how do, how do you recommend if, if they have nothing, it's all paper right now, uh, where, where do they start? All right, if we're going to start with labor, just yep. start posting it. This is how many hours I paid in payroll and this is how many that we actually bill to customers. Okay. Whatever that ratio is, post it. I promise you it will get better, especially if you explain what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So track, you got to track it to manage it. So we, we track it, but then we make it public and mm-hmm. hopefully put some peer pressure on maybe the guys who are the low performers that they need to, they need to step it up a little bit, right? Yeah. And um, you can do a contest that basically says, if we get this number to X, let's say we want um, the productivity ratio, which is what it really is. And let's say we wanted it at 80%. When we hit 80%, everybody gets a $100 bonus or a $50 mm-hmm. bonus or whatever else it is. And you'll get the peer pressure for, from everybody, whether they're actually billable, i.e. working on a customer's project, or whether they're in the office answering the phone. They know where all the waste is. I promise you they do. Yeah. And they'll start pushing. What, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I saw on your, your resume, you, you work kind of with uh, with contractors a lot, uh, HVAC specialists, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm an automotive. I mean, similar service-based yeah. industries. What, what do you think that like you walk into a place, the standard, like that productivity number what do you think it normally is like when you get started with somebody? Is it 50%? Is it 70%? Usually around 60. Around 60. Yep. That, that is what I, uh, I, I would think as, as well. Um, and so, yeah, tracking it, right. Making sure that they track it, make it obvious, make it, make it public. Um, and then what's, what's then, then it's the systems and the processes that get involved to say, Hey, where, where are we bleeding hours? Yeah, it doesn't have to be an HVAC company or, you know, like a Midas shop or something mm-hmm. like that. Let's assume that you are um, you are a marketing research company and you do marketing research reports and you tell a customer that will have a report to you in, you know, two weeks or three weeks or whatever the number is, but you estimate a certain number of hours to do mm-hmm. this particular mm-hmm. report. And let's assume that you estimated 80 hours. I'm just going to use 80 hours here. And it takes 120. You've lost it. Yep. Point. So it's not only um, product-oriented companies. It can be service-oriented companies. It can be law firms. It can be accountants or it can be whatever else it is. You just have to know how much you are billing versus how much is actually coming to the okay. bottom line. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a great one. Um, what about inventory? Is this similar things? Just, just starting to try to track it more? I would lock it up. First thing I would do, if you're not have your inventory locked up, lock it up. And yep. that's the best control I know of, is yep. locking it up. That, that's a good one. And, and then regular cycle counts, right? Regular uh, accountability there, I think is, is key. Yeah. Um, so questions on, on payroll, right? So payrolls are our largest expense, right? For, sure. for a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any recommendations or theories on, you know, there's all these different ways we can pay people, right? There's performance-based, obviously. There's some blended salary plus some incentives. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some pay plans that the goal is just to keep it as simple as possible. While other people, you know, kind of have these complicated formulas. They pay on profitability, right? There's like a million ways you can do it. I want to know from, from your experience, what, what, do you, what do you see as kind of some of the best practices of how you, how you compensate people? And maybe it depends on what level, you know, they're at. Um, uh, on the chain there, but um, yeah, you can share some some thoughts sure. there. I look at product. Uh, I look at payroll as um, two things. Managers get paid bonuses based on the product, the profitability of their departments, and everybody else gets paid on the profitability of the company. So, for example, let's assume that um, you're a manager and your department earns generates a million dollars in sales. Yeah. 
and it nets $150,000. So that's a 15% net, right? Yep. And the manager would get a bonus of 15% of that $150,000 or their bonus would be $22,500. So that's what their bonus would be for the year. They get bonus based on the profitability of their department. Okay. Okay. And if he's at 20% margin and he's 200, he's get 20% of 200, let's say. So the the more profitable he is, the bigger piece of that profit number he's going to get. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that sounds good. And then then everybody else, uh, you look at it how long they've been there mm-hmm. times their compensation. So you might have somebody who's there only for a year and their compensation, I'm just going to put numbers as $40,000. And you have somebody who's been there 10 years and their compensation is $20,000. So the guy for a year is one year times 40,000. So his number is 40,000. The guy who's 10 years and 20,000, his number is 200,000. Right. Okay. So if we do those and we add those two together and I'm only doing it with two people. We have 240,000 and each person gets that percentage of 240. So the guy who's there for 10 years gets 200 over 240, which I can't do in my head. Um, and the other one gets 40 over 240, which is a six. So it's what, 17 percent, something like that, 16 <laughs> percent. So you take a specific piece of profits that you share with everybody. And whatever their percentage is, they get that percentage. So you're rewarding both longevity and compensation. Okay. And, and, so and, and you've implemented this, this plan? Oh my gosh, yes. And it is really funny. After a couple of years, um, what happens is people who are not productive, you don't have to fire. Okay. Yeah, the they just self-select out. as you say. Yeah. yeah. Employees can come out. You're affecting my bonus. Get out of here. You know? um, yeah. And just to like summarize, got a lot of numbers there. And yes. I, I think it's great. I've, I've heard something similar to this. So managers, you know, they're getting a percentage of whatever their, let's say, department or store. If it's my case, right? A store is a million dollars. It's 150, yeah. whatever. Right. Manager gets whatever the margin is, 15% of the, of the profit. Then all the other guys take that profit number and we s- split it up. And then based on longevity and comp, it's your guys who make more money in been there longer are going to get a bigger piece of that that shared pie than the guy who had just started who's lower paid um you know entry level but as he you know as he makes more money and is with the company right his share his profit sharing number is is going to rise um along with the the total company who hopefully that pie gets bigger because everyone's incentivized uh, kind of rowing in that same direction yeah I, i have one um company that i'm working with right now that he called me on the phone yesterday and he goes, do you know how much, how big my profit sharing number is going to be this year? And I went, yes. And he goes, that's a lot of money. I said, yes, it's a good year. He said, well, what if we don't do that next year? I said, at the end of the year, when you hand out these checks, you say, we had a really good year. Thank you very much. You know, here's your piece of it. And, and they've known the formula now for five years. So I said, you know, he said, I said, you also make sure that you tell them next year might not be as good. You know, it might be yep. better but don't necessarily expect the same amount in your check next year as you did this year. Yep. Yep. So, so how does a business owner uh, get over the fear of sharing those profit numbers with everybody and, you know, thinking like they're making all this money and I I don't know, right. I'm sure you have some people that have some reservations about kind of opening the books, right? Well, you're not really opening the books. What you're really and truly doing is you're saying, okay, if we generate, let's say, I don't know, 
$3 million in sales, whatever, the bonus pool is going to be 30,000. It's usually 1% of sales. So they don't necessarily look at the net number. Mm. They're making sure that the revenue piece of it is there. Because if you've priced your products properly and you're not okay. the guy who, you know, was was growing his company with cash that we talked about at the beginning, you know yeah. that that you know thirty thousand okay. dollars is going okay. to be a piece. So, so instead of maybe a profit based one, you're you're saying here's a revenue goal, and if we hit this goal, it's going to be this this percentage. That's a way. You just could... say this number of dollars. Yeah, this number. Yep. Sure. Yep. Okay. And yeah, that's a good one. We've done it with two. You know, if the revenues hit. Instead of three million, they hit four million. The bonus pool will be forty thousand, or you know, whatever. We've given them options, type thing, so they know where it's going. Okay. If it's twenty, if it's two million, it's only going to be twenty. If we hit a million, it's only going to be ten. So you know, yep. we, okay, we don't want to do that. Yes, that's that's good advice. So, so for somebody who is willing to kind of share the numbers, right? Because there are some companies that, you know, maybe the manager is on a on a, on a profit sharing plan. He knows what payroll is. He knows what fixed expenses are. Mm-hmm. You know, he they, they coach him on like how to run a business, like he owns it, right? Yeah. Um, and he can affect those numbers. Now, if, he, if he's not, and he's only, he only knows maybe top line numbers, maybe gross profit and, and payroll, for example, and he doesn't know what it costs to run it beyond that, um, then yeah, maybe going on this revenue and, and target equals profit sharing pool could be a, a little more comfortable as somebody kind of maybe gets up to that, that level of, of status, I'd say. If you're going to be a manager of either a store in your case or a department, you are judged, if you want to look at it that way, judged on running a profitable department. Yep. You cannot run a profitable department without the tools to know that you're profitable, one of which is a P&L. Yep. So um, I have lots of conversations with owners, just like I just said here. If you want them to run the department and you want them to do a good job, they have to see the bottom line. And what we end up doing is we allocate out, excuse me, allocate overhead fairly amongst the different departments. So he knows what his overhead number is and he has to meet every single month. Mm -hmm. So so we know what it is um, pretty much. But most of the managers, if you trust your manager and you've groomed them and you've trained them, and they understand what a PL is all about. Um, and I do a lot of training on this with managers. Um, they're usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People probably are, are a lot more capable of right running and, and going with the things that we teach them if, if we invest the time in, in teaching them. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, they may even have ideas or they're coming to us of, hey, I think we're losing money here. Here's an idea. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, if, you, if you have one store that's doing, terrible and everybody else is doing really well and you don't give the manager the ability to know he's doing terrible how can you fire him <laughs> that's right i mean yep. seriously yeah um hey you got a question on on some process things right so we all have the same 168 hours you know in a week to get things done you know what what separates you know people who are really successful from those that out is, is systems and processing and, and the ability to kind of leverage their time to get more done uh, do you have some strategies, recommendations for uh, for leveraging your time in those systems and processes? Depending upon whether you're a morning person or an afternoon person, shut your door. Go okay. Find, go find some place that you can be. And I'm sure you've heard this before. Um, concentrate. Um, one of the owners that I've worked with, he is a morning person to the nth degree. He walks into the office at five o'clock in the morning every day. Okay. And he gets done everything he has to do for that day. And if you, you just, 
don't interrupt him unless the building's on fire, his wife got in an accident or his kid got sick or something like that. Because the rest of the day, he's totally open to everybody. But that is his time to get done everything that he absolutely needs to get done that day. Yep. So time blocking. Uh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so let, let's assume that you're more of an afternoon person. So you're going to want to shut your door for a little bit of time before you leave for the day, write down everything that you've done or what you got to do for tomorrow so you can hit the ground running tomorrow. But, you know, take some, time, some amount of time blocking. There's a, um, a book out called Deep Thought. Mm-hmm. And it really talks about if you have like between 60 and 90 minutes and it's uninterrupted, un, you know, it's like you can go like, just keep you, you know, nobody's around or anything else like that. You can truly focus. You can get more work done in that 60 to 90 minutes than you can almost in a day. Yep. Okay. No. Yeah, those, those are great. Um, do you have any daily habits that you're kind of committed to that you think are part of your kind of success formula? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I get up at five. I generally do what I've got to do from 5.15 or so after I've you know, totally woken up to about 6.30. And then I go work out for an hour. Yep. yep. And I do my day. Okay. Yep, so getting up early, um, working out, exercising, right? Getting the blood flowing. Um, yeah. Any, any other ones that you that you think are part of it? Is it a goal setting, kind of following up on goals or, or tracking them in a manner? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do that too. But I mean, I think most successful people do that. I mean, my routine really and truly is get get focused. And I use my um, running time when I, when I run. Sometimes it's in the gym and sometimes it's running. Um, <laughs> excuse me. I get these great ideas. And so I, I write them down and stuff like that when I get back. So a lot of my running time is, is freeform thinking time too. Mm-hmm. And so I make sure that I do it not only for my health, but for my mental health at the same, the yep. same time. But, you know, um, my goal setting is done in July, which okay. is really crazy. It's not done in December where most people... It's okay. Well, why July? Because when I was... 50, when I was 55, I finally realized why I was put on this earth and created a 45 year goal. And it was in July. Okay. So every July I, I, I see where I am versus goal. I mean, it's not that I wasn't successful before, but I mean, it became crystal clear at that point and said, okay, here's your goal to your hundred. Boom. Okay. And what is that goal? Um, it has to do with the number of people that I can impact the number of people who have um, invested in the books um, the number of training classes that I've done, the number of many different things to help people get and stay profitable and build wealth, which is, I realized at that point, everything that I had done in the past was just not focused. It was really focusing on tools, processes, systems to get and stay profitable and to build wealth. It's not only the profitability that's important, it's building the wealth piece that's important too. So I, I set the 45 year goal at that point. I had not written three of the books at that point. I have written three books. I have done a lot of training since then, um, a lot of classes, a lot of manuals and things like that to help business owners um, do what they need to do to, to achieve their goals. Yeah. Really. yeah, having that one overarching, very clear uh, vision that kind of ties everything that you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And it helps you determine what are the what are the highest value tasks that you can do right each day to, to build towards that that vision that you're going to create. Or I say yes or no to a project too. Yep. 
And every, you know, there's a saying, you know, every time you say yes, you're saying no to something else, right? Yeah. And so the more yeah. yeses you say, it's really the more no's you're saying to things that you're deeming less important, but those things really could be more important. You just don't have the clarity on that. So mm-hmm. or um, person that doesn't fit with what I'm doing. One of the two. Yep. Perfect. Um, you meant, you mentioned, you know, building wealth. What do you see as the difference between like profit and wealth building? And uh, how, how does someone go about building wealth? All right. Real easy. COVID. I mean, we've all just been through COVID, right? Still in it. Yep. Well, we're still in it. We got the Delta <laughs> variant now. But anyway, um, those companies who had 80% of their business with restaurants mm-hmm. either pivoted or failed, right? Yep. They didn't have enough. I had um, a customer, he was not a customer of mine. I knew who he was, but he had three of his major customers file bankruptcy on him on the same week, having him hold the bag for a million dollars in receivables and took him out too, because he had not built the wealth. Building wealth is two things. It's building up the cash and it's Mm -hmm. building up your customer base. Those two things build wealth. And you have to be profitable first, obviously, to build the wealth. But if you don't build the wealth with the profitability, you still can go out of business, even though you've been a very profitable company for many, many, many years. You know, the pandemic is a perfect example of it. How many companies who were profitable went out of business? You know, lots and lots and lots and lots of them because they had not saved the cash or, you know, done the things they needed to do to build the, the wealth up. Saving cash is real easy. It's, I should say, very simple. It's um, just every dollar to save 1% of every dollar that comes in the door. So if you get a check for a thousand bucks, you put 10 bucks away. Yep. Yep. That easy. And then you don't touch it. Okay. I have been through many cases where they, I had business owners build 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 in their, their, their savings account, so to speak, by doing this. They have a really, really good year and they decide, ah, I deserve this. And they go to the big boys toy store. Yep. Yep. So, so one of the things that when I think of wealth too, I think of, you know, you, you're owning assets that cash flow, right. And that you kind of have this, you know, whether it's real estate or, you know, I guess it could be, you know, other things you could invest in, right. That generate, generate cash for you. So it's somewhat kind of protected. Uh, at, at one point, do, do you turn that savings of cash into something that actually makes you cash? All right. So my rule is, well, it depends upon your tolerance for risk. Most of the time I say six months of pay of, of overhead expenses in the, in the bank liquid. Yep. Sure. And then after that, you can start investing in things that are not necessarily as liquid because if you needed the money for six months, you know, even with the PPP loans, it took several months to get them. You needed to survive for three months or, or, or two months, somewhere between two and three months before those loans came available. Do you have the cash to be able to do that? And if you don't, you're in trouble. It does not matter whether you're profitable or not. Yep. You need the cash behind you. Yep. It's all part of that running that stable business and taking those risks and, you know, like having that, having that money to, to even take some of the risks you can because, you know, you've, you've got the reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. What are some other ways that you, you help? You said, you know, your goal is to help so many people through, through coaching in your books. What are some other ways that you kind of help people? What's your business look like? Uh, I, I do a lot with recurring revenue, okay. i.e. maintenance uh, for contractors. It's maintenance agreements. Um, <clears throat> for some of them, it's interesting because you, you every single business, including yours, can have a maintenance plan. Okay. You just have a, to a profit maintenance plan. Is that what you call it? Or 
You can call it whatever you want. It. Okay. I don't care what you call it. Um, but it is recurring revenue from customers who are loyal to you and you are loyal to them. And they pay X number of dollars for X number of services. And they come to the top of the line and they are first. Now, it doesn't, you know, think about a restaurant. If they have a um, birthday, birthday club or an anniversary club or something like that, people haven't paid for that. But they've said, okay, our anniversary is on such and such a date. Our birthday is on such and such a date. They get a marketing piece, you know, right before the birthday that says, come in and celebrate your birthday. We'll give you mm. a free entree with da-da-da-da-da-da. Yep. So they get people into their restaurant, all right? So something like that. So, Or it could be um, there's a tea company, and they do a tea of the month club. Okay. You know, so it, it doesn't have to be services-oriented. It could be product-oriented where somebody – how many people do vitamins every single month? Um, you know, that's a recurring revenue too. So you and, help companies identify what are some potential recurring revenue yeah. or service that they could provide and kind of help yeah. them implement that that business plan? Price it, market it, build it. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it's not only um, identifying what it is, it's also making sure it's priced right. So it doesn't, you it's know. profitable. Yep. <laughs> or at least break even. You know, yep. it does not have to be hugely profitable, but it has to be at least break even. Okay. Uh, what are some of the most creative ones that you've helped develop? Do you have any that? Oh my gosh. Um, the tea one was fun. Tea of the month. Tea of the month. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah. Cause like you want variety, right? You want to try different things. I mean, my wife drinks yeah. tea, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That, cool. that one was kind of interesting because the business owner had no clue mm -hmm. that they could do something like that. You know, and, and if you look at it, it's really based on, um, and I know I'm dating myself, but we used to have book of the month club and record sure. of the month club and things like that, where you put a little penny in the thing to, to join the club and you said that you would buy at least six records or six yep. books within a year and stuff like that. And they built a loyal, wealthy customer base as a result of it. Yep. Yeah. We did a coffee one too. Was, they'd send coffees from all over the world. You know, and each card have a story about where it's from and why it, you know, so it's more than just like getting this, this bag. It was kind of this experience. Um, yeah. You want it to be experiential. You want them to be looking forward to the package that they get every single month. If it's like coffee or if it's like tea or something along those lines, um, you don't necessarily, I mean, if all I do is get something once a month and it's like, <laughs> you're not yeah. going to have people stay. They yeah. want to be excited about getting it. Yep. And the marketing, I know I do the, the shade, the dollar shade club. And there's always yeah. this little like unfoldable thing that's like a little comic book with some, you know, funny, uh, you know, things in it. So, uh, well, I wouldn't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, but it's all part of the marketing in the brand, right? That they're building that it's this kind of fun, yeah. fun thing. And it's just razor blades. So, um, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Uh, what, what is, what is one of the biggest challenges that you face in your business? Uh, marketing at some point in time, we try to get into a new market, which was not a good idea. Um, the research was okay, but when we got into it, it just, it never worked. So we, we didn't stay in there very long. So, I mean, I've done enough work over the years that I know if something's going to work or not work. Mm -hmm. And that was still early on in my career that that happened. And then um, my sixth startup was probably my toughest challenge. Um, we had a uh, $1.6 million contract, $800,000 of investment riding on that contract. And we'd already started work on it. And they called us one day and said, we're dropping the contract. All right. So that was, 
not a fun day. Um, but we ended up starting it anyway. I put the last $25,000 on my credit cards and we literally started. And we started with six customers. <laughs> okay. What type of business was it? It, it was actually, the, it was literally the first internet TV um, business for training. Oh wow! Okay. It's still around. It's still it's um, HVAC Channel TV, and I still have it today. Okay, all right. That's so cool. we started with six customers, which was crazy. Okay, but like, that was my toughest challenge, I think. Okay, what 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 are some of the lessons that you learned from that that you like look back on and say like it strengthened you at the end of it? Never ever ever give up. Yep. When stuff happens, you pick yourself up, dust your stuff off, and you keep going. Find people who can help because there's always people around who are willing to help. And go for it. Yep, that's great. So any any books that you recommend that you're reading now that you that you're really enjoying? I know you have a number of them, obviously. Yeah, um, I, have, I have five books. Uh, Profit or Wealth and The Courage to Be Profitable are the last two, which have both become number one bestsellers on Amazon. Um, one of my favorite books is Uncopyable. It was written by a guy by the name of Steve Miller. It's an orange book. It's probably the best marketing book I've ever read. Um, that's really, really good. And then Chris Voss has a book, um, Never Split mm. the Difference. Yep, he, that's a good one. That's, that's a really good one. Um, Rory Sutherland has a book called Alchemy, which is really looking at customer um, behavior. And he mm-hmm. is like, Number two at Ogilvy in, in the UK. So you get a lot of the UK flavor in it too. But he's done a whole lot of research on human behavior and why people buy and don't buy. And it's in the book. Oh, wow. So it's really an interesting book. And it's a fun book to read too, because number one, it's short. Number two, he has no problems you know, saying it like it is. And there's no, um, it's not fluff. Let's put it no, out. that's good. Okay. Yeah. Is it is it like recently like a new? Yeah, it just came out last. It's not okay. even been out a year. Okay, great. Yeah, because yeah. because consumer behavior changes too. So yeah, I know like it, definitely it, relevant. Time, yeah, time relevant. Um, yeah. that's awesome. So where where can listeners kind of connect and learn more about you and what you do? And um, the best place to do it with to find out about me is just go to ruthking.info. Um, okay, that's the best place. All all of my books are there and. Um, one of the things that I really love to share with um, business owners is I wrote a, a white paper or whatever you want to call it uh, the, called How to Tell If Your Financial Statements Are Wrong in as little as 60 seconds. And it may not even take you 60 seconds to do this. It's 10 things you can look at really quick and it will give you a sense of what's right, what's not right, where to start looking. And then, you know, assuming everything's going right, phenomenal. You keep going. And if it's not, you know, there's lots of places and lots of people who can help you dig and okay. figure out what's going on. And that's, that's on your RuthKing.info website. website yeah. um, do, you mind, do you mind sharing what's one or two of those things uh, you would look at? Okay. Number one is to make sure your balance sheet balances. Okay. Yeah. And you don't have like a negative or a positive number at the bottom. Yeah. And QuickBooks yells at you. Yep. Yeah, well, QuickBooks sometimes says your balance sheet's out of balance. Can I rebalance it? It's like, yes, do it, you know, type thing. Um, You can't have negative cash on your balance sheet. That's the second thing. Um, Another one is that your receivables and your aged receivables have to match your receivables balance on your your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your payables. Your aged payables have to match your aged payable balance on your balance sheet. Um, You can't have, you know, one month that has no rent and the next month has double rent. You can't have negative loan payments. You have to be on an accrual basis. 
um, for reporting. Now, from a tax perspective, that's not necessarily true, but if you're running a business, you need to be on an accrual basis. Your gross margins can't be negative. Um, that means if you buy a part, you sell it for 50 cents or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, your net can be negative, but your gross better not be negative unless something is really wrong. Yep. Um, that type of thing. Um, you you definitely don't. Um, you have if you're a company like yours, um, you have inventory, and if it's not on your balance sheet, you're fooling yourself. Or if you see inventory, seven thousand dollars. I mean, yes, it could actually be seven thousand dollars, but that's like winning the lottery. It's not going to be said. It'll be seven thousand two hundred twenty-two dollars yep, and fifty-seven cents. Yep, yeah, round round numbers are usually not yep accurate. Yeah, I mean, you could win the lottery and you could have a round number. That's right. Well, yep. What's the likelihood of that happening? It's probably pretty slim. And or if there's you know if it's the same number every month, you know that that's not true either because your sales go up and down every mm -hmm. month and your inventory should go up and down every single month. So those are the, okay. the major ones. Those are, yeah, those are all great. And uh, if a lot of those things that you said are foreign to somebody and they want to learn more about aging and receivables and payables and all that stuff, what are some good resources? You can go to my books, The Courage to Be Profitable, um, The Profit or Wealth Book. Both of those have, they're both written in English. They're both written about okay, great. what you can actually do and what the numbers actually mean. Yep. And you can follow it very, very easily. It's not hard. Yeah, once once you start to understand the concepts and how the money flows between the different sheets, um, then you start having an impact on it. So yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's been awesome. So I'm wrapping it up here. It's great, great talking with you and meeting you. And I think you know you delivered a ton of value and you know lots of numbers. I think anybody going back, listen to the podcast, maybe grab a pen, uh, write, take some notes here on on a number of these things. Uh, I thought you had some great formulas and stuff. I got. I'm going to go look at look at my numbers and see if my my numbers over two there. Yeah, to you so. see whether you receive multiple tables ratios <laughs> yeah, over two, or which it way it's going. <laughs> if it's not, I'm, I'm calling you. So, all right. Well, it was great chatting with you, and I, I hope you have a, a good day. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and you have a great day too. All right, thanks, Ruth. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So, start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.